0: The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsource solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsource solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716 716- 630 2400. Again, 716 630 2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Welcome to Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with Matthew Fairburn, also of The Athletic. He covers the Bills. And Jonah Bronstein of the Bronstein concern, uh, we have been given a request from a loyal listener slash viewer, Dan Meyer, who uh, is on Twitter as Meyers musings wanted to know what we thought of the Naomi Osaka announcement that she will not be doing press at the French Open. And well, I think she just press in general. Uh, citing mental health reasons. And uh, I think we all have some thoughts on that. And, uh, but just to give some more background, Naomi Osaka, she's 23 years old. She is ranked number two in the world uh, in tennis and has won four Grand Slams. And so this has become the story leading into the French Open and also uh, an interesting discussion on sports journalism on sports as an industry sports the business access what the media deserves what the fans deserve um i'll just throw it out there to anybody who wants to to mention it first i have uh, mixed thoughts on this um and uh let's just talk it out so whoever wants to go first and I think well, we can gen- get into how this how this pertains to not just Naomi Osaka, but anybody, whether it's Josh Allen or Rowdy Telez or Jack Eichel, whatever.
1: Well, I generally don't like when athletes do this. Kyrie Irving had something similar earlier in the season. Uh, Marshawn Lynch famously avoided talking to the media for a long time. Terrell Owens had his spells where he did not want to talk to the press. And I I think it's a dereliction of an athlete's duty to their sport and their team and to the general sporting enterprise. But it's also for me or anybody, any of us to say that it's very self-serving to say that they have to speak to the media, but it's the Let's
0: expound on that, Jonah. Why? Let's, let's, let's roll it out slowly. You think it's important. Why do you think it's important?
1: Well, it's important for promotion of the sport and for, it's important for the top athletes and the stars to do the media because everybody else has to do it. So it's not really fair. The example is like the quarterback of the team. If the quarterback of a football team says, I'm not talking to the press. Well, then you make players who are less, not less important, but less leaderships and less uh, prominent answer questions that should go to the leaders of the team and the quarterback. So it should, go from the top down and you usually don't see bottom of the barrel athletes making these kind of statements that they're not going to talk to the press anymore. It's always the star athletes and the, the athletes who don't really need more media exposure or feel like they're already overexposed. And and I think it's more of a power flex often than it is uh, something related to mental health or or just not wanting to uh, participate in the process. It's more about taking control and saying, I'm only going to do the interviews I want to do when I want to do them and don't want to be told by my team or my league or my tennis association, when I have to sit down and who I have to sit down with.
2: Yeah, I think it's kind of a tricky conversation because generally there are certain people that should have to answer to the press, the free press and get questions that they can't control particularly public figures, anybody, you know, uh, in office. And I think sports has always fallen into a weird category with that. And I tend to approach the job in a way that, you know, if somebody doesn't want to talk to me, that's, you know, they're an adult. I'm an adult. If they don't want to talk to me, that's fine. Um, there's so much red tape a lot of the time, between getting to the point where I can even get somebody to say no to me. You know, you gotta sometimes go through in-betweens. I've always just thought, like, I think this conversation that she started potentially could mean, you know, could be, you could make a case that it means there should be more access. Like these press conference settings, I understand where she's coming from, you know, from a, I don't know what her mental health situation is. I'm not sure you know, who does um, and, you know, what makes her anxious or what exactly it is um, that she's dealing with. But I could see why sitting there and asking questions that you don't really know what's coming and you're not really sure and you're not in control at all. I could see where that would be a very stressful situation, particularly if you don't like to speak publicly. But I think that's where, you know, being in the locker room, building relationships obviously you know there's no open locker room or anything in tennis tennis is a little bit different but being in there being able to go up to a a football player a bills player in this case and say hey you know you got a minute you want to talk or sometimes it'll be hey I want to do this story you know maybe think about it and we could talk you know next week or in a couple days but when you don't have that it becomes a very weird process and it becomes a you know, press conferences and Zoom calls and everything like that, they can be pretty weird and and pretty, I would imagine, a little nerve wracking for some of these people. So like, should they talk, I think is one part of the conversation, but also how they do it and how much control they should have over that is another part of it. And there's a case to be made that, I, I mean, the promotion of the game element is interesting here because I think her doing this has created a bigger spotlight on this sport. I, I certainly wouldn't have been paying attention to the French Open uh, had she not said this. It's kind of like the Kentucky Derby a few weeks ago, you know, in the Preakness. It was like, because the guy cheated, it was like, or the horse cheated. Well, the horse didn't cheat, the guy cheated. <laughs> The horse is a junkie, Matthew. <laughs> the horse still Former had, per-
1: came out and spoken to us and told us what happened. Exactly.
2: But it kind of <laughs> makes you want to like tune in. It's like, Oh, there's some attention on this thing. So the promotion of the game element, is always a little bit weird. Like that's not our job, right? You know, that's been the reasoning for why athletes should talk, but I've never viewed my job as to promote and, you know, increase interest in the Buffalo bills in the NFL. So it becomes kind of a flimsy argument on those grounds, I think. But I know I probably just is, made like four that's or five their job,
1: points. But from from the athletes and the league sure. perspectives, that's why the athletes talk and are mandated to talk as often as they do because it's part of promoting and growing the game and keeping their sport and their league in the news as often as possible and speaking to the fans and, and you know. So I, what I don't like. I, I kind of understand when athletes make these points or when they have frustrations about talking to the press or being forced to spend long hours at press conferences or whatever they have to do. But what I don't like is when fans and media come out in support of that and say, yeah, if you don't want to talk, good for you, because you're really you're cutting off your own legs there. When you say I don't want to hear what you have to say and you don't have to talk to me and, you know, more power to you. I don't really think that that is something that, you know, I can support that that people saying, you know, we don't need to talk to these athletes. We don't need to hear from these athletes. And if they don't want to talk to us,
0: you know, fine. Leave them alone. You guys are are pests and uh, just leave these people alone. We don't, we don't need to hear what they have to say. We just want to watch them perform.
2: And I think there's a, growing group of fans who think that way. It probably has to do, uh, Howard Bryant had a great thread on Twitter, you know, kind of unwrapping a lot of these um, topics, but a big crux of his idea was that, uh, you know, they're more, or or they want to, athletes want to be viewed more as entertainers, you know, and, and be in that space than they do maybe held to the standards of like a public official. And there probably is some in between, I think, which we've achieved, I would say. but and, and Howard Bryant's towards... point
0: on that, Matthew, just because I, 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 I read that thread. What he's saying is athletes want to be treated more like celebrities, whether it be musicians or actors, actresses, because they do the movie. You go to the movie, you watch the movie and you leave the theater. You don't the 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 actor doesn't give a news conference about or ask any questions about his performance. Yes. He does the junkets and all those things. But I, I mean, I, I don't know. I'd like to ask an actor or a musician if they'd rather do a news conference or, or, you know, do a handful of news conferences every year or do the junket scene or where you uh, do the rounds where you go on Fallon letter. Well, not letterman, new Fallon Colbert, uh, you, you do uh, the Daily Show, you do the, you know, the, all the different radio markets, the big station in New York and the station in L.A. and the station in London. And uh, you have to do all this stuff. Um, go on Howard Stern. And um, yeah, I think that they probably wouldn't mind doing the, the sports version.
1: But they do what the studio asked them to do. That's part of why. Oh, it's in their contract. They have to be. Right. They're paid 20 million or whatever they are for the movie. It's not just for the acting performance. It's for the promotion and attaching your name and your celebrity to that film. And the same thing with the athletes. It isn't just about what you do on the court or on the field. It's about the whole entertainment product and participating in that to the extent that the league and your team and the industry wants you to do. Right.
0: But what the actor slash musician perspective would be, go watch my movie, go home, leave me alone. I'll come I'll poke my head out when I'm supposed to poke my head out. And otherwise, you know, you don't need to hear from me till the next movie. Sorry, Matthew, I, I derailed you there.
2: And a lot of those are control, you know, any interviews that a, a movie star is doing after the release of a movie, usually very controlled environments, handpicked, you know, prior relationships, things like that. They have not autonomy over what they're doing after the movie comes out, because a lot of them would probably do what you're saying, Tim, and just kind of be like, all right, go watch my movie. See ya." Like, I don't want to do any of this. Some of them are outgoing and want to, you know, talk to Jimmy Fallon or whoever else. But they're at least, I would think, through their agents and through negotiation, have some autonomy to say like, Hey, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And he might say, no, I hate that guy. I'm not going on his show. Whereas a lot of times these athletes walk into a situation where they don't know who's been credentialed, especially at a big place like the French open, a big tournament like that. They could have people throwing all sorts of questions at them. People have watched Super Bowl media day and the nonsense that gets tossed around there, the amount of people that are in those press conferences, um, Maybe some people think that about the three people on this call uh, lobbing questions out in uh, Buffalo sports news conferences. I don't know. Uh, But yeah, there's it's an interesting, you know, kind of point to say, like, okay, you know, a movie star has to do some stuff or, you know, an athlete should be held to the same standard because they have a contract with the league and the team and they're supposed to be promoting the interest and everything else. Collectively bargained in the case of the the big four sports. But that's not really our, that's not really our aim or our job, right, is to promote the sport. Like that's certainly not how I approach it. So I do think it's, it becomes a little bit of a slippery slope because this is now an era of athletes or a generation of athletes that have had access to social media and control over telling their story, how they want to tell it. I mean, they've you know, had they could put a camera on themselves since whenever they got a cell phone. Uh, you know, a lot of them, and now a generation of consumers that perhaps views the free press and journalism a certain way as well, which is an entirely separate issue, but I think plays into this: the perception of journalism as a profession and news reporters and the varying degrees of professional professionalism within the industry. So, you know, are these athletes going to want to take more control? And is there danger in that? Probably eventually on, but I think that's probably case by case, like LeBron James having so much control over his message. And, you know, he rarely gives interviews and uh, you know, at least, you know, one-on-one interviews and he, you see like Tom Brady releasing a documentary that he's having a hand in directing and, you know, kind of shifting their stories. Like Tom Brady owns a company that, you know, got PPP loans and LeBron James has so much money that he can have his hands in a lot of different things. So all of a sudden these guys become so powerful that you do need to, I think, answer some questions and face the public. And, you know, it's a little bit different than saying like, man, Stefan Diggs didn't talk to us after a game, you know, that guy, like, yes, it's in the policy that he's supposed to talk to us after a game. But are we worse off because who's worse off? And, you know, is the general public worse off because Stefan Diggs didn't talk? Probably not.
1: Well, that's why these press conferences serve an important, and I want to say democratic function. Maybe there's a better word for that. But to give equal access, because if it wasn't for these mandated press conferences, LeBron James would only talk to people on platforms that he owns. And, uh, you know, Michael Jordan would have only talked to Ahmad Rashad and there never would have been. Uh, the opportunity for different media and different reporters to ask their questions or have access to these question and answer periods. And it would only be a sort of, you know, kayfabe the athlete controls the interview and only speaks when they want to to who they want to, and only answers pre-approved questions. The press conference, even though LeBron James doesn't sit down for too many one-on-one interviews, he does have to speak after games or before games. And he does sit down for press conferences during the playoffs. And there is, um, that, that is required of him that he would not do if the league didn't force that on him.
0: The motivations for the league, it should be pointed out, and we've kind of been referencing this throughout uh, the podcast so far, obviously different than the media's objectives. The, the league's objective in news conferences um, isn't to be nice to reporters. It is free advertising because it is going to be reported on, it's going to be televised, the clips are going to be shown on Sports Center, on the nightly news, et cetera, et cetera. But it also serves a purpose in getting out the stories of these players, especially when we're talking about individual sports like tennis, uh, backstories, uh, the personalities. And I think that it's a short list of athletes who have benefited more from news conferences and these types of exposure than Naomi Osaka, because she is delightful. And every time she speaks, people love her. She's incredibly popular because of uh, her frankness uh, because um, she, she just has that charismatic aspect to it. Um, People just are are smitten with her. Um, But I also understand that when it comes to individual sports, especially with the Grand Slam type sports, and maybe, sadly, women's sports, um, people want to know a lot of personal things uh, that I think that don't get asked. Uh, I don't recall Josh Allen ever being asked about his girlfriend in a news conference. Maybe, you know, as something uh, tangential about, hey, what'd you guys, you know, what'd you guys dress up for as Halloween at Halloween or something like that. Um, but you see these athletes all the time being asked about who they're dating these days. And that's what kind of bleeds over into that celebrity aspect of it uh, more than, uh, than the standard sports. When you get um, uh, the international media involved, they really want to get into um, everything. They want to know everything about you. Uh, it's why you see, I think, those athletes uh, that, that uh, excel at the more international sports uh, get different type of advertising, um, different type of uh, sponsorships, uh, watch Rolex watches, uh, fancy sports cars, uh, fashion lines, things like this compared to. US athletes where you top off at Gatorade or I mean yeah, obviously Tom Brady you know has different endorsement deals. he's in a different league uh, but you're not going to see, you know, Jack Eichel uh, or, you know, throw out, I mean, I'm trying to think of, you know, what, what Patrick Kane, people went nuts when they saw Buffalo, like he made it, he was in a Gatorade commercial. Um, same thing with baseball guys. You just don't see it. Like you do these internet. And I think with that comes these press expectations. So um, Naomi Osaka, when she references her mental health uh, again, I don't, I'm, I'm not going dis- to diminish that because she may be dealing with some things. She's 23 years old, a lot of pressure. She's made tens of millions of dollars. She gets asked the same question over and over and over again. I get it. Um, What I didn't like about that phrasing of mental health, that vague blanket statement is, again, what has kind of been mentioned on here is that the media is the asshole, you know, like in that the media and it feeds into the whole fake news bullies, people who are out there because they're trying to make a name for themselves rather than report the story. Uh, the camera is on me or the mic. I have the microphone for 30 seconds. I'm going to name myself and my affiliation and I'm going to get to the bottom of this with this hard hitting question. Uh, it becomes performative. Um, and I'll be honest, I don't watch a ton of tennis news conferences to know how much that goes on, but it certainly does go on in the four sports and, and uh, with the teams we cover. Um, there are assholes out there, but just to say that I need to block out the media for my mental health really does put the media in a, in a really weird situation. Uh, when we're just a conduit really to the public, we're trying to give the public what they want. It's the nature of our business. If we don't give the public what they want, then they're not going to support us. So we're, it's this dance where we're constantly trying to Figure out what the public is going to respond to um, versus um, you know, the, the league that wants to get as much information out there as it can that puts them in a positive light.
1: And is it, I think it's disrespectful to people with real mental health issues and actual mental health awareness issues to say in so many words that being asked about my struggles playing on clay and putting doubt in my mind before the tournament about being able to win a tournament on a clay court is a mental health issue, even though it's a mental issue, putting, you know, doubt and mental a sports stress. psychology issue. Right. Yeah. But that is that the same as mental health. And all of a sudden when people put up that mental health shield, it's well, you can't criticize them, you know, mental health. We need to take this seriously and uh, you know, not dismiss it, but you I know, think we different degrees of what, mental health and mental illness and and what that entails.
0: I think we do need to give her the benefit and all athletes who would cite this, we do at least need to give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe there is something uh, to uh, be uh, aware of. Um, Even though we don't know the details it would, and maybe we don't, we don't deserve to know when it comes to mental health, maybe she deals with severe depression or anxiety, or these questions put her, uh, in a bad place. Um, and I don't know, I I just want to at least say that there's a benefit of the doubt there. And I will say, um, the things that you get in public, whether it be from reporters or on social media, uh, when it comes to sports and I'm not just talking about sports with people who play it, uh, or, or athletes, people who are on teams, people who make millions of dollars, anybody who, people who report on it, uh, people who work in it, uh, I think that it would be a fascinating uh, case if anybody, and maybe it's happened and I, I'm not aware of it, but if anybody were to ever say, this is a hostile work environment. Um, and I'm not just talking about, uh, you know, Naomi Osaka. I'm just talking about sports in general. Um, you know, I I used to have to do chats at ESPN. It was it was in our agreement and we had to, had to do them X number of times. I had to set time. I want to say I did mine Friday afternoons. There was a a menu and I had to be there Friday at two. And occasionally I could shift it a little bit. Um, And uh, people can go in there just like they do in the mailbags at The Athletic or anywhere else and submit questions or comments. And you have to sort through them to decide which ones you're going to put on there. And I would go in there and sit down maybe 10 minutes before the chat starts so I could get a little head start And the stuff that I had to read. I, my bosses made me, I mean, it was saying things about my family. Um, when are you going to stop sucking Tom Brady's dick, uh, N bomb this F this C bag that, uh, calling me the, you know, uh, homophobic this and homophobic that, I mean, just like, just because they didn't like the story I wrote on, on uh, whatever, Chad Henney uh, or, or Ted Ginn. Uh, I didn't think Ted Ginn was working out in Miami. So I'd get this, or I, you know, I, I'm a fan of this guy. I think he's going to work out well. Oh yeah. Well, you know, Darrell Rivas ain't shit and uh, you need to stop sucking his dick, you know, just the stuff. And I always wondered, can my bosses really force me to deal with this on a weekly basis? I mean, if it was a coworker saying it, or if I had to go out in public, I mean, wouldn't they have some sort of remedies at hand for me to deal with this? And, and so I can understand an athlete in today's society, even though it is the media we're talking about standard media in a news conference at a tennis match at a, at a major at a grand slam event. Um, sitting down in the decorum that usually you have, you don't get that. But I think for maybe some athletes, the whole thing is all one big ball of attention and whether it's their Instagram account or their Twitter or whatever they get it, you know, maybe they have a personal website where people can leave comments and things get through, or they have a tendency to maybe check out what people are saying about them on, maybe there's a tennis message board uh, or something. I could I can get to where you, where the, the responses, uh, where a fan or the media might say you're making, you've made a hundred million dollars or however much money she's made 50 million, a hundred million, whatever it's going to be a billion, probably before she's done playing. Um, you owe us this and I could really quite easily get to a point where it's like, no, no, I don't know anybody's shit. Um, So I that's where I'm kind of mixed on it. I can see
1: how does skipping press conferences solve that issue? Because I think of the other night, Russell Westbrook gets the popcorn poured on him, and he wants to run in the fans and fight, run in the stands and fight that fan, and security doesn't let him. But then he gets to go on the Zoom chat on the press conference and give his response, right? And you know, speak his mind and speak to the NBA and the public about that issue. And if he was not speaking to the press, maybe he puts out a statement on social media. But oftentimes the media and the press conferences function to give the athletes the opportunity to engage and speak back to the press and push back against some of this social media hate and vitriol that they receive.
2: I think, you know, that ties into what Tim said about, you know, athletes telling their stories, the power that can have. Uh, I don't, you know, of course it's a, a self-serving opinion to say, I, I, I believe in that. I mean, that's, you know, why I do what I do. And, you know, like I do think that there's a huge benefit to athletes sharing their stories and, you know, giving people that that side of them. And I can't tell you how many stories I've written, you know, where there's comments in there where people say, man, didn't know who the hell this guy was. But now I'm pulling form in camp or whatever it is, you know, when you're writing about some of those guys. So I 100% agree on that point. And, you know, what Joan is saying about Russell Westbrook having a chance to speak his mind or, you know, other guys having a chance to, to say what they want to say on any type of issue. Of course, they have the outlet on their own, right? Like Russell Westbrook could have videotaped himself and posted it on Twitter and Instagram and gotten just as much attention the NBA certainly would have seen it the fans all would have seen it that you know people live on social media so he doesn't necessarily need that setting but I do think it can create a dialogue and a back and forth when you've built up the trust there can be a benefit to continually going there and you know having that space to start that that dialogue with whatever questions come your way but There's also, I mean, Tim raises a good point about the, you know, the mental health piece of this has to be real for a lot of athletes. I would imagine if you're a little more active checking your Twitter mentions or anything else, the type of things that get said and the way fans behave, I think that's also very, you know, prudent with what's what's going on right now, very timely with the way some fans are behaving at, at basketball games. We've seen it at Hockey arenas, we've seen it everywhere, really. But lately, it's been the NBA games with uh, Trey Young getting spit on, uh, Russell Westbrook getting the popcorn thrown on him. That's not even looking at the Twitter mentions and the things people will say about you online. So it would be easy to say, as as an athlete, to say, "Oh, I'm doing this because you're my conduit to the fans." Well, screw the fans. I, you know, I don't want to talk to the fans. I could, you know, certainly see that angle and, and see that piece of it as well. So it doesn't strike me as the type of situation where there's an easy one, you know, one easy solution for everybody. I, I think it can be somewhat case by case. I think the policies are in place for a reason because on the whole, the, the league or the sport or the governing body of the sport the team, whatever it may be in a lot of instances does benefit from these press conferences or, you know, whatever news availability they have with these athletes. But there's also, you know, one other thing I think worth pointing out is certain questions that, that she might get asked in these news conferences or any athlete might get asked, you know, we're coming up on one year, uh, since George Floyd, um, and other, you know, types of world issues that seem to get brought into this space—pandemic stuff, pandemic Meets stuff the, like politics. You know, yeah, politics. Just... Some guys are and and gals are comfortable, you know, sharing their thoughts on that um, and want that, and others probably don't. And this has a, a somewhat of a tie into, you know the conversation we had earlier in the week about, you know, Bill's players and getting asked about the vaccine and everything along those lines. I think when you're, when you're in the position of somebody who maybe is like, look, I haven't really shared a lot on this or I'm done sharing on this, whether it's George Floyd, whatever. And you're like, I I don't want to be getting this question and that question. I know what's coming and I don't want to deal with it different than a lot of these Bills players, or I guess two of them, Josh Allen, Cole Beasley, making these opinions known with disinformation and lack of regard for their platform. And then saying, well, I don't wanna answer any questions about it. It's like, well, you've now put yourself out there. You've, you know, If you're gonna have that opinion, you, you should probably back it up. Uh, and you should probably, you have a platform and a power and, and some of that stuff you're not obligated to talk about the vaccine, but you started the conversation. You're the one who opened up Pandora's box here. Like, and it does have a direct on-field impact. So I know Sean I knew,
0: McCoy was good at that.
2: Like I knew people would would uh, kind of, you know, bridge that gap. And so I just wanted to make make that that it's a little bit different, you know, like um, a tennis player not wanting to talk about all the world's issues before she's about to have an important match. I think is different than in May bills players getting asked about something that they, they started. Yeah. LaShawn McCoy is a good example of like chip Kelly's racist. If you ask me about it again, like I'm done, I'm not talking to you ever again. It's like, okay, well, it's a hell of a claim to make with no follow-up questions allowed. I mean, so yeah. um, It's not, that's why I say it's not, you know, no two cases are exactly alike. um, But you know, there are some times where it's like, you need to answer to some things. And there are certain people too, right? Like the head coaches of these football teams, um, head coaches of public university football teams who are often the highest paid employees in the state paid by taxpayers. Those people need to answer questions. And, you know, as it turns out, sometimes colleges are the least likely to make, uh, you know, they have the most restrictions about making these people available. So yeah, there's a lot that, that could be, I mean, man, we could probably have a four hour podcast about media policies and access and all the various, um, threads therein. But I think, you know, each case is a little bit different.
1: So one of the points you made, Matt, Naomi Osaka has been rather outspoken and had a lot of thoughtful and important things to say about social justice and and things that have happened in the world over the last year or so. And her statement about not talking to the press didn't mention that. It was about repetitive questions and questions that put doubt in her mind. And so, you know, I, I you can empathize a little bit if this is, if an athlete did have maybe some social anxiety issues or press conference settings in general uh, brought about mental health symptoms and issues, uh, you know, that's something that a conversation to have about how that could be rectified. But if the situation is, I want to speak about this subject, but not that subject. I want to control the questions. I mean, that's not something that I think anybody in the media and the public should really support. You can control the answers that you give. You can say, I've already answered that question. I've already spoken about that topic. I don't have anything more to say about that. But you can't say, don't ask me that question, or you are a bad journalist for not uh, you know, keeping this on the line, not, you know, only questions about the home run derby here. Don't ask Rob Gronkowski about anything else when he shows up at Buffalo to, to hit home runs.
0: Or the governor, when you ask him about his book, that's a good right, yeah. question. Well, politicians
1: can be the worst at this, but you know, at least politicians there's they're, they're working on behalf of the public. And there is a, a stronger expectation that you do have to answer to the public, but not every politician uh, goes along with that program.
2: And yeah, politicians, it's totally different. I mean, it's like I said with college football coaches at public universities like that, that there's no blurry line there. That's pretty clear cut that you have an obligation um, to answer questions and to be available. And no, you don't get to control that setting. But I do think the line gets a little bit blurry with, with athletes, they are very important people. And like I said, some of them are a lot more important than others and some of them have a lot more to gain from talking. reporters and some have a lot more to lose by talking to reporters and i understand that and i try to sympathize with that whenever i approach anybody to talk for a story sometimes it amazes me as many people have talked to me for stories as they have you know i sometimes wonder when i send a text or make a phone call why the hell would this person talk to me and then they call me and they you know and Not even for, even if it's an uncontroversial story, like, Hey, I want to ask you about when you used to coach this guy, you know, sometimes I think why the hell they don't know who the hell I am. They don't know what the hell I'm going to do. Like they know what outlet I work for. And, you know, sometimes these people do know who I am, but I do, I kind of, I I approach the job that way thinking like, wow, this is great. Somebody's going to talk to me like that. You know, and I'm typically pretty grateful that, that they're, that they're doing that because it's easy to say no. And when given the opportunity to say no, I think that's an easy default for a lot of people. But there's also the point to be made here that whether it's Naomi Naomi Osaka or LeBron James or Tom Brady, I think you don't need to speak with the athlete to get the truth or the story or whatever is going on. Um, I think... You know, Tim's story on the Pagoulas uh, in, you know, last year, you know, they didn't roll out the red carpet for Tim and tell him all that stuff and show him all that stuff. You know, and I think a lot of these books you see written, uh, the book on Tiger Woods, he didn't cooperate with uh, with Armin and um, I think it was Jeff Benedict uh, wrote that book as well. A lot of some documentaries where people don't participate Um If you really want the truth sometimes you have to go earn it and that's where i have such mixed feelings on like oh i'm not going to do a press conference oh cool then the next person who gets her is getting a good scoop uh, and has done a really damn good job and didn't get it handed to them you know press conferences are kind of uh in the sports world low-hanging fruit a lot of the time and the questions are repetitive and I do understand why some of them would think it's a little bit of a waste of time. So. That's a great
0: comment, Matthew. You say, if you want the truth, you have to go earn it. And I think that sums up my philosophy of the way that I've operated over the years is that I'm not owed anything. I don't deserve this information just because, Uh, and I've never been upset at somebody not talking to me. Uh, Because that is their prerogative. Um, I've had a lot of fans or people chirp at me on Twitter. Oh, you just don't like this guy because he doesn't give you interviews. It's like, I, 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 when I walk into that locker room, I know I've said this before, when I walk into a locker room, I treat it as though I'm walking into somebody's living room because that is where they work. That's where they live. Really. It's, it's not just a workplace. You know, it's a, it's more of a family type thing. This is where, you know, they, you know, blood, sweat, and tears, you know, the whole, you know, all the different imagery you want to use. I mean, that locker room is not, you know, we come walking in there. I think there are a lot of reporters, not necessarily in Buffalo, but anywhere who walk into a locker room with the attitude that they are owed things. You owe me this information. You owe me your time. You have to do this. Um, I've seen reporters just walk up to a guy, locker stall, stick the microphone in there, flip on the camera or turn on the recorder without even saying, Hey man, you got a couple of minutes Uh, because maybe they say, Hey, can I just run in the back? I want to, you know, I got to, you know, I got to talk to the equipment guy real quick. I'll be right back. But no, then they stand there and it's like, and then they get the, but the light is on and they're being filmed. They can't just walk away. I mean, there's all kinds of things or ways you can treat a guy uh, in the locker room that really, it's like, Jesus, you know, just. It's an
2: odd scene. It's such an odd scene. And it's, But I've
0: I've gotten far in my career act, not acting, but believing that I'm not owed anything. And if you don't want to talk to me, fine, I'll go talk to somebody else. I mean, it's not now. Yes, there are elected officials or with my recent story that I just did with The Athletic about the girls high school basketball player where I reach out to them. And if they don't want to talk, I think to myself, all right, good luck. You know, it's like, but I'm but I'm not upset that they didn't talk to me. I'm sure I'm I'm thinking, I think there's, they're not that bright for not talking to me, but Hey, so whatever you want to do, man, it would fine by me.
2: Jeff Perlman didn't talk to Barry Bonds for, for the book he did on Barry Bonds. And the intro to that book is amazing because of the interaction he had with Barry Bonds when he asked him whether he would talk, like, it just makes you work a little bit harder to get the story and find the truth and make an extra phone call and, It's the same thing I, one of the first lessons I learned when I was at the paper at Mizzou was um, I very rarely say this person's a terrible quote or they're a terrible interview because I said it after talking to whoever and my editor said, you're probably a bad interviewer to which, which was probably true at the time. Um, Well, It was definitely true. And some people are less talkative or whatever, but I do think the locker room scene is is going to be a bit under a microscope in the coming months. Probably the next six months will tell the story of the the future of what that looks like in sports. Because in American sports, you are allowed in the locker room, some of them pre and post game, and that's not the case everywhere. That's not. I don't believe that's the case in soccer uh, in a lot of places, and so. I think it's an important setting. It can be a dehumanizing setting because of the reasons Tim mentioned of the way some people behave in the locker room. But I also think it's an important setting for getting the type of access that I think some of these athletes want, even the ones who are saying, don't let me do this. I don't want to do this press conference. I don't want to be subjected to this nonsense. I think those athletes would probably agree that they would like somebody like Tim or another reporter who is thoughtful and careful with, with the story and considerate about their time to be able to approach them and build a relationship in the locker room type of setting in an informal setting where when Tim comes up to somebody after a game and has been around that person before, it's not viewed as an attack the way maybe a, you know, a new face they haven't seen before in a press conference after a lousy game might be viewed that way, without the locker room access or without something to replicate that, the relationships are not as strong. And when the relationships and the trust aren't as strong, you're going to be more stressed out by that press conference. You're going to have a harder time telling your story because you don't know who to trust. And so while it can bring out the worst in some reporters being in the locker room, I do think it's a net positive for the athlete in some ways because of being able to figure out who, who you can trust and who you can't. And then kind well, of I think your, just your real quick. I think though,
0: being on these zooms, Matthew though, has emboldened some reporters just to be total pricks, because you yeah. know, they wouldn't ask that question if you were standing right next to the guy. Hundred percent. I've seen I mean, some of that.
1: Maybe, but I've seen more of uh buttering athletes up and turning it into, Hey, how you doing? What's going on? Conversations on these zooms. So that's true. Like you're ways. Yeah, you're right. I mean, a I think of the sooner we get away from these, whether we get all of the locker room access back that we used to have, the sooner we get away from these zoom press conferences, the better. I think that's part of the issue with Naomi Osaka. Maybe there's some zoom fatigue and that it's been more difficult to meet the media requirements in this pandemic era for some athletes than it was prior. Um, so, you know, I wanted to respond quickly to one of Tim's points that, you know, I don't necessarily like it when athletes, when athletes and journalists kind of over-personalize the interactions in the locker room, although it does sometimes tend to get better access and better quotes when it's more of a human conversation. But when the cameras are on and we're in there in the locker room and it's a group uh, gaggle or, or scrum, You know, you're talking to the public there. And if a cameraman shows up and just pops the light in your face, I mean, I think there's an implication there that, you know, this is your time to give your statements on the game and whatever you want to say or whatever questions you get asked. And when people make it a little bit too much of a human interaction and, oh, thank you so much for doing this interview. I mean, they didn't do that for you, Tim Graham. Sometimes it happens that way, but oftentimes they're not talking to you. They're talking to your readers and your audience. And we're conduits to that. And that needs to be a little bit more, or it doesn't need to be. I, I, I just think that when people think that I walk in and I ask questions or I show up at a press conference and ask questions, I'm not asking that because I have a personal need for you to tell me these things. It's because that's right. part of the job and the story we're trying to tell. We're trying to put your voice and your thoughts and get more accuracy and authenticity into these stories and not just write what's in our own heads, but writing what's in your head too. And that's an opportunity for the athletes. I cover a lot of high school and small college athletes, and they love talking to the press. Sometimes they get nervous about it because they're not as experienced with it, but they thank you for the opportunity. And as you saw with the story you wrote this week or published this week, Tim, that, you know, the athletes that don't get a lot of press really like the opportunity to talk to the media or an athlete that's a rookie and hasn't had that hasn't been jaded by interactions with the media they love having their first opportunity to go to the podium a podium game it's called and so I think that you know it's only I shouldn't say only but it's usually only the star athletes that have done a lot of media and a lot of press that seem to get jaded and sick of it and really want to just flex their power and say I'll talk when I want to talk I'll answer the questions I want to answer I'll address the topics I want to address and I don't want to be forced or coerced into doing any interview or any press opportunity that is not my choice and i i don't
2: support that
0: yeah and I, I think
2: i think with that you need to i just wanted to i just
0: want to differentiate for the sake of discussion moving forward i agree with what you say jonah and you put it in put me into a space there where i agree with you hundred percent but When I was referring to like walking up to somebody, flipping on the camera light, turning on the recorder without even saying hello or whatever is like after a practice or something like that was what was in my mind. After a game, it's kind of like all bets are off because they're hurrying up. You got equipment managers rolling bags through there. It is a shit show in a locker room, especially after on a road game. Well, but I I don't. They got to try to get to the bus. I
1: think that's bullshit. I think that if you're going to make the locker room the media access area, and for a certain period of time, like when there's open locker room during the week and there's nobody there, I mean, this is the time that the league and the teams and everybody and the players' association have agreed for talking to the press and talking to the public and when it's like hey you're in my way I'm trying to get dressed or I'm trying to roll these equipment bags here you guys get out of there well then you know then it's not proper media access you're, you're getting in the way of this talking to the public and going up there and being like hey do you got a couple minutes and thank you so oh, you much, can't Grant, do that after question. a game
0: you can't do it after a game if a guy's there you just got to jump in and And
1: sometimes the guys, they do their stand-ups, and then you come back and you're like, hey, I missed that. Do you mind if I ask you a question again? And, you know, there's a little bit of a personal interaction there. But when they come to the podium and it's like, hey, thank you so much for doing or the Zooms. Thanks so much for doing this Zoom today. Well, they're doing it because they have a responsibility. Either they understand it themselves or they've been told they have to do it. And we don't need to thank them for that because they're not doing it for us. They're not doing it to be nice guys to Tim, Matt and Jonah.
2: Yeah, it's, it's – after the game is, you know, absolutely, you know, chaos. And we have jobs to do. We're on deadline. You know, we're all out in there. So, yeah, it's there's much less time for the pleasantries. And
0: how many times Sorry. after a game, Matthew, and I because I, I'm bad at it. I think it's because maybe I am a little too deferential after a game. How many times have I come to you and said, I, I didn't get anything? You know? <laughs> like, the locker room's empty. There's, like, Jerry Hughes, you know, buttoning up his tie – uh, or, uh, you know, putting the knot in his tie and like four equipment guys and one PR dude. And that's all that's left. And I'm like, I, hey, I don't have anything. Uh, that happens to me quite a bit.
2: Well, Eric Wood would probably speak to this. The few years I covered him, however long he was here, I guess, I think four years that I covered him, um, he was always the last one out of the locker room. So I talked to him after every single game. Like he would look at me in Rodak at times and just be like, Oh Christ. Like you're Lorenzo Alexander
0: is another one. Yeah. He was always you know, one of the last to go, but he so was a great like, talk.
2: Yeah. Like if you're one of the last to go, I'm hanging around uh, and, you know, I'm going to ask you to talk, but it's part of why like the physical space of the locker room, isn't that important to me. And I know some reporters, um, you know, certainly PFWA wants the locker room back and like, the physical space of the locker room, I don't think is a complete necessity. Sometimes I think it is one of the most uncomfortable places to be. Just, it seems like an invasion in some ways, but like some sort of designated media area that they have to come through. You know, that, that how was how it used to be in college, was like there was a space, and the guys didn't have to come through there, I guess, but, you know... I guess that's the benefit of the locker room. It's like, you can trap a guy. You can get, if you need a guy, you can get a guy, but it's kind of goes back to what I said. Like if the guy wants to say no and and tell me to piss off, that's fine. Like I will probably make note of that. Like, Hey, I tried to talk to Kelvin Benjamin today and he told me to get bent. Like, you know, I'll, you know, Hey, that's fine. You can say that. And I can, I can share it. Um, I think Jonah made a point that has now slipped my mind. That'll probably pop back in at some point, but one of the things, the power flex. Well, I, I think it was, um, you know, that one of the things you mentioned was that like, you know, the people that are the most powerful and have the most influence is like the people who want to thumb their nose up and say, screw this, I'll do it on my own. And it almost feels like those are the people that we should have, that we are holding accountable the most, right? Like those are the people that, like LeBron James, Tom Brady, like these are powerful, influential people in our society, whether we like it or not, sports have made them that way. And so they do, it does feel like, you know, they have to answer some questions. And the other thing I wanted to mention just popped back into my head is Jonah mentioned, you know, trying to get these guys' voices into the story of the game and like, you know, get the truth. And I think that's a really important point is that so often players, coaches, whoever, Will be like oh man you guys always get it so wrong you guys have no idea what this blocking scheme is or you have no idea what that co- you couldn't tell me what that coverage is and it's like tell me then uh, please, here's an example this
0: might be the prime example how about we because well we'd need to have somebody on from the vikings media to tell us how stefan Diggs was but based on how stefan Diggs is with buffalo media and he's cordial he's a nice guy he's just not available that's i mean he's just not he's just doesn't do much and when he does he's great for that we get him for 5 minutes a week or whatever it is. But Josh Allen talking about I can't believe how the media got it so wrong on Stefan Diggs in Minnesota. And I could say I can I can see it because if he's not talking to anybody um, as great then, of a guy as he is.
1: I mean, he did there were locker room and team chemistry issues that and contract squabbles that led to his trade. Who got who got what wrong?
2: Well, that's an interesting point. I I think Josh Allen got it wrong. That he was a
0: bad guy. That
2: But I think Josh Allen got it
1: wrong that he thinks the way that Stephon Diggs has behaved as a Buffalo Bill uh, absolves everything that happened while he was a Minnesota Viking.
2: Right. 100%. 100%. And I think there's there's absolutely, you know, a kernel of truth to some of that, right? We're saying, Jonah, is like the – we don't know – how wrong they got it or whatever because there were issues like they were out in the open at times like on the sideline and you know you talk to people and they say some of it was misunderstood or some of it was communication but like there obviously were some issues and because he's behaved differently here doesn't mean that anybody got it wrong but there's also i do get frustrated by the idea of like oh this guy's uncooperative with the media he's an asshole like i don't really Think like everybody thought that about Mario Williams is like, oh, this guy is just the worst. And I was like, yeah, but sometimes you can get him for like a minute and he's amazing, like for 60 seconds, 60 seconds of quotes. And I've got a 700 word blog that is awesome. Like, and I'm you so get glad. get him that- after
0: every game. He never, I will say this about Mario. I never thought he was an asshole. Uh, I thought he was difficult and I thought for his own, you know, he was a bit of a prima donna, but I never, He might that's be. That's fine. That was a personality. He might be it. He might but, be an asshole.
2: Like, to be clear, he, he never, might be, but never not for dodged that a reason. Question.
0: Never once dodged a question. You ask him a tough question after a game, uh, whatever, about his contract, about this, that, and the other, never. Never, like, he, he always answered it, and he seemed genuine when he answered it. Yeah, but he he'd also had,
1: sit there on open media days, open media hours, sitting there doing nothing, eating food, just watching, hanging out, but wouldn't talk because he only talked on Wednesdays and this was a Thursday. So I, I don't right. want to give him too much credit for being a media dark. That is what
2: his contract said, though. That, is, you know, yeah, right? right? Like he was a Wednesday guy. He was a designated. Well, that's once not a week his guy. contract.
1: But, but let so me. So that, that's a power flex, too. That's a. Well, not his I'm contract so is. That I only do these interviews. Let me give
0: up. a story about once a week, guys. I know I've told you guys this story before. I don't know if I've ever mentioned it on a podcast, but when I was at ESPN, and uh, I was uh, doing a story where I was dispatched to Foxborough during the week to do a story. And it was a practice day. So I'm out in the, in the media room. And this is when Albert Breer is with the Boston Globe. He's there. Ian Rappaport's at the Boston Herald. Um, you know, Prominent reporters, Ron Borges and Karen Garigian. Uh, you know, I don't know. Greg Bedard might have been there. Maybe. Tom Curran must have been there. Tom Curran about. was absolutely there. Mike Rodick. And they're Rodak. Yeah. Rodak was Mike Reese. And um, we were, they were just, you know, we were shooting the shit in the, in the room and they were complaining about how they hadn't had Randy Moss in three months, but they're just complaining about themselves, you know, among themselves. And I'd act, I was familiar with the PFWA rules, you know, the policies on who's got to be available. And then they start talking about all their once-a-week guys. Well, Tom Brady's once a week, and Vince Wilfork's once a week, and I don't know, I'm pulling out guys. Uh, Wes Welker's once a week. Like a status symbol. They ha- absolutely, but it's against the rules. And I so finally I peep up and I said, "Look, you're only allowed to have two guys who are once a week." And these very prominent NFL reporters looked at me like I had four heads. I said the end, you you can have it's standard in the rules one offensive player one defensive player because of because they're inundated with too many media demands can be designated as once a week players that would so you almost always the quarterback and somebody on defense now the bills didn't have that when ryan fitzpatrick was the quarterback cuz he talked every day but you so they could have theoretically made fred jackson once a week Um, But nobody was holding the page. So the Patriots, he's like, wait, what? And so and and then I said, and Randy Moss has to be available every day, if he's not one of those once a week guys. And he has to be everybody has to be available after a game. And they didn't know this. And so finally, the very next game, Randy Moss spoke, and it was a huge deal because the NFL finally said, look, Randy, you got to you got to talk. It's been brought to our attention. You haven't spoken since training camp and the Patriots just because nobody ever pressed them on it. The Patriots just let it ride. Um, you know, when I was with the Dolphins, it was the quarterback and Jason Taylor. You know, Jason Taylor was a superstar player. So, yeah, there are it's funny to think of the Bills during the drought years who their two guys would have been, you know, Trent Edwards and uh, Paul Pazlozny probably or Dante Whitner or somebody, but yeah, it's the status symbol to be the once a week guy. And then it gets to the point where you have multiple once a week guys and then guys see it, you know, Darrell Revis had a problem with it when he was with the jets. And I'm trying to think of who, who else was with the jets. Maybe it was when Chris Jenkins was there. Uh, Chris Jenkins, the football player, not Chris Jenkins, the former bills PR person. Um, but they had somebody on defense who was once a week. I don't think
2: anybody was confused. Like, I don't think anybody <laughs> listening was like, does he <laughs> mean, I wanted to person? make sure you
0: guys weren't, uh, and, uh, but I remember that being a thing like, Hey, I want, I'm a once a week guy. Cause it's a, it's a, as Jonah says, it's a status symbol. So then it becomes, I'm important enough to not have to talk every day. So it become, it's kind of like an insult. Like, Hey, look at that guy. He's he's lower than me because he has to talk with the media every day. Um, or the vice versa is probably closer to the truth is that look how important I am. Uh, I only need to do this once a week. And then only after games. And then with well, Stefan Diggs, he only does it just the once a week and never after games.
2: And Josh Allen is also and now this is where the policy and we probably get way into the weeds on like the screwing with that policy. And
0: is maybe it's changed. So this was 10 years ago when I no, was having this discussion, I,
2: but I think it's the same. I know with, we had problems with LaShawn McCoy a lot, and it was usually if he hadn't talked, like if he went a week without talking, that was a problem. And sometimes it would be like, oh, he snuck it in after a game. So, you know, it, it started to become this thing where like, you know, the PFWA was like, let us know if he does this and, you know, get kicked down the road a little bit. And finally it, you know, started to get us some results and that type of stuff can get annoying when you're, you know, you haven't communicated a reason why you're doing it. You're just doing it to flex your muscles and for a status thing. You're Randy Moss. You haven't released a statement that says, I would not like to do interviews for X, Y, and Z reasons, or I don't want to do a press conference, or I want it to be here and not in this setting. You're just screwing with the policy to screw with the policy, or you're skirting around things. I think my point on Mario was more like, he might not have been a nice guy. I don't know. I don't really claim to know, very many people in the locker room on that level to say with conviction, whether they are or are not a nice person, uh, because it always seems like occasionally there's that nice guy that gets caught doing something and you're like, oh my God, he was such a nice guy in the five minutes I talked to him every <laughs> right. week in the locker room. So I never really claimed to know anybody on that level, good or bad, you know, it's like, wow, this guy's an asshole to the media. Like my point with Mario is like, if he was a bad guy, I don't think it was because he was difficult with us. Like, I don't, you know, I don't really care. I don't judge his character based on whether he speaks to the media or how cooperative he is when he does speak to the media. And to your point, Tim, he did give amazing stuff, like towards the end of the Rex Ryan era, the guy was a goldmine, like after the Washington game, talking about insurgents and all this. It was amazing. Like He was well, great. So, right.
1: when, when things started to go a little bad for him, he had more use for getting his message out there to the press. He needed only. us. The wise athletes, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Harvard graduate, you said he didn't do the once a week. He talked every day. The wise athletes realized that playing ball with the press leads to more favorable coverage and you get to control your narrative more. And in many cases, the athletes that are very media friendly end up getting jobs and opportunities in the media after they're playing careers. And, and I think more athletes should realize that it's not as much of a responsibility as it is an opportunity for you. You know, number two, I'm reading this Osaka story, the number two men's player, uh, Danil Medvedev, says, I try to come to a press conference, bad mood or good mood. And I feel like sometimes in the bad mood, I can be in a better mood after talking to you guys. So when you have your mandated press conferences, use that as an opportunity to express yourself. Say what you want. Maybe you don't like all of the questions. You can, it's very easy for athletes to deflect the questions and move on to talking about what they'd rather talk about. It doesn't have to be, you're not under oath and on the stand and being grilled and have to answer the particular points. And sometimes journalists and good journalists will make an athlete, you know, narrow them down on a certain topic. But usually they're pretty softball questions. And if you say, I don't want to talk about that, Josh Allen said he didn't want to talk about vaccines the other day. A couple people tried to follow up, but most of the reporters were happy to go ask happy-go-lucky questions about long balls and playing against Patrick Mahomes that really have nothing to do with May OTAs. So the smart athletes, the the well-trained, media-savvy athletes know how to handle these press conferences and use them to their advantage and not look at them like it's a huge burden.
2: Ryan Fitzpatrick's probably the best example of that and it's not, he's had a great career in a lot of ways. Um, but it has, it's not as great as a lot of people will tell you it is because of mm-hmm. how nice of a guy he is. And um, our good friend, Jerry Sullivan is always a great example of just like pounding the table for Ryan Fitzpatrick all the time. And it was like, is it cause he's a super nice guy, <laughs> like, you know, cause he's a little bit friendlier to you. Um, but I think there's also the point that like when you're so available it it's much it brings the temperature down significantly right we're talking to those guys right you're constantly available it's like you're going to stop going to Ryan Fitzpatrick's locker at some point uh, because you got to get something else done uh, and he won't stop talking so you're like I got to go talk to somebody else same with you know a lot of you know I think executives uh, you know probably fall under this too like the whole Doug Whaley press conference that happened toward the end of his time here, the tension had built up, you know, he hadn't spoken in a while and and they hadn't made him available and he's actually a nice guy and can be pretty engaging to talk to in the right setting, but he had been made so nervous by the PR staff. And he had made, he, he was so unavailable that when he got up there, it was like people had months worth of pent up, questions to throw at him. Like, whereas Brandon Bean is available a lot. And so, you know, he can address the difficult thing quickly and he can do it in various settings, um, you know to kind of bring down the temperature of the room and and of that criticism. So it's very much an an opportunity. Like Jonah's, Jonah's spot on with that. I think you can certainly play the game a certain way so that it's not such an intimidating game. To play if Josh Allen had I always think I don't know and I'm not a public relations expert but like when Josh Allen you know did what he said what he said on Kyle Brand's podcast a week later you know could have been like all right let's have a press conference with with the local media the people who I talk to all the time who know me and let's let's get out in front of this and talk about it and then it's by OTAs come around nobody's talking about it really um, you know once you address things and the more available you are the less somebody comes in and says, we got to get this guy. Uh, you're not available. So screw you. Like, that's my question. Like there, there, <laughs> you know, there's less of comments? that one. Right. <laughs> yeah. By the way, screw you. Like, and
0: yeah.
2: you should talk so to you me. You
0: need more. to talk to us more. You need to talk to me. And another more. thing, fuck off <laughs> comments.
2: Right. Like, so I think there's, you know, there, there can be a strategy element to it for the player where most of the time, well, I could see it as an annoyance a lot of the time. If you do it a certain way, now it's different for, you know, a superstar tennis player who doesn't do a lot of this type of stuff and is about to play a massive tournament. Um, but when you develop that kind of trust, then maybe something happens, right? And you can say, all right, I got to go to, these guys that I that know me and they know me well because I've made myself available and I can explain myself and they can add a little bit more context to this.
1: I have a question about Josh Allen for you guys that cover the team more than I do and know the PR staff a little better than I do. Do You think that Josh Allen was the one that didn't want to bring up the vaccine or didn't want to address his vaccine thoughts the other day or was that more of a PR strategy to say we don't want Josh Allen uh, sharing his controversial opinions about this in public anymore.
0: I'm fairly certain it was discussed with him before he sat down. But like we discussed on the previous podcast, this could have been a team decision. It could have been. We Tremaine Edmonds said pretty much the same thing. Um, that we've made it. We've talked about it as a team, and we're going to keep it in house. And it probably is a way just to to shield other players from additional questions, or at least hope that that's the case. Uh, to keep guys from speaking out one opinion or the other. So that way it doesn't become polarizing. Uh, so that's just my guess.
1: But Sean McDermott was a little more willing. He, he didn't want to talk specifically about Josh Allen, but he was more willing to share his thoughts. So it isn't an organizational decision to not talk about the vaccine issue. Right. Maybe, well, either, maybe there was a players meeting where they said, if we're not on the same page here, we shouldn't be talking about it publicly.
0: Yeah, right. And the, But I do think that, so look, PR, not I'm not saying the bills specifically or their individual PR people, but when you say, like Sean McDermott said what he said, was probably also discussed by PR with PR. Josh Allen said what he said. They were totally different things, but I think PR helps them walk through it. Like, okay, we know how you feel about this, or we know what the situation is. The best way for you to answer this question is this given the circumstances so they know that josh allen's already said what he said on kyle Brandt's podcast they know what the players are saying on twitter so the pr staff has all that perspective in mind when they say look what is going to be best for josh allen and the bills in this situation he's got he's serving different masters he's serving whatever his personal beliefs are whatever the nfl pa wants whatever his teammates want with his role as a captain the fact that he is a representative of the organization. So there's a lot going on there. Sean McDermott isn't beholden to uh, anything in particular. He's got to have the vaccine because the NFL, he's an NFL employee more so than, than Josh Allen is uh, in this. So his message can be massaged by the PR staff to be different, or I don't want to even say massage because that makes it sound duplicitous. Um, but it, it can be framed in a certain way that is truthful and pure, you know, so that way they say it as clearly as they want to say it. And Josh Allen's got a different situation going and the players have a different situation going that the PR staff has to be mindful of, but also there's this aspect of it. The PR staff is the team. The PR staff is management. And if there's an NFL PA element to it the 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 PR staff might be kind of stepping out of bounds
1: right uh, or the team
0: might not or the players might not necessarily trust how the team wants to message something when it comes to OTAs and reporting and showing up not showing up all that type of thing
1: and the PA might be pushing this it's a team decision it's a team in-house issue that we don't want to talk about they might be pushing that message on all right
0: right right yeah so Josh Allen, I'm sure, did not just. Maybe he did. I, I don't want to make well, that. Well, yeah, out I don't. Either. I'm not
1: expecting you to know. I was just wondering what you think if that was my. I'm, his
0: call I'm or fairly the certain call that. Josh, call. yeah, there was PR. I'm sure there was PR influence in what he said from someone. Yeah, I don't
2: know for sure, one way or the other. Um, it's speculation, but I think. There are, you know, there's a lot of different possibilities that Tim laid out, you know, pretty well there. And I think it's the big part of the difference between Sean McDermott and Josh Allen is what Tim brought up about McDermott being a league employee and having different, um, you know, different things that he can say or different things that, um, you know, different powers that be that are watching him uh, necessarily Whereas the player thing is very much, it could have come right from Sean McDermott, too. Like, I can't, you know, discount that possibility that in his message to the team was like, hey, we're going to hash this out as a family and we're going to keep it out of the public because that hasn't worked out so well when it's been. Yeah, but I
0: think what goes against that possibility is the fact that McDermott was so open about his decision then wouldn't, if he wanted his players to do that, then he should have led by that example, right? Yeah, I guess that's
2: true. That's a good point. Like he was very open compared to his players. And perhaps that's a follow-up question for some of these players is like, you're keeping it in-house and that seem is that a team decision? And if so, how do you feel about your coach not keeping it in-house and sharing that he was vaccinated? Like, and Setting that example um, and sort of saying that, you know, that it's that's his hope is to educate and build awareness. Um, The question's not going away. I'm sure they've thought of all these possibilities. And I think there are influences from different spaces in Josh Allen's world, public relations probably being one of them. Um, He was certainly prepared and he had almost two full months from when he said that on Kyle Brand's podcast. To when he spoke to us, he was prepared for every question. What he would say, sort of repeated his answer. He knew he was going to lean on that stock answer and, you know, go from there. And one of the, you know, people he's beholden to as Tim was mentioning rattling some off, and perhaps it, I just didn't hear it, but his, his circle, whether that's his family or uh, his his tribe, right? His his girlfriend. The reason he said what he said. The reason he said what he said in the first place, what he believes, uh, and those group that group of people, like he doesn't want he wants to sit on the fence as much as possible, while kind of winking to one side uh, of that fence, and he did that very clearly on Kyle Brand's podcast, and I think you know felt like he didn't need to by saying nothing you're saying something. If you got, I, I would think, and could be wrong, but I would think if you had gotten vaccinated in josh allen's shoes that is the easiest pr move in the book right i got yeah i got the shot
1: yeah what's the what i said on the Kyle what's Brand the follow-up but now i got it's more like, information and i've decided it, i'm gonna get vaccinated
2: what's the follow-up at that point what's the story like i guess it becomes a sign of weakness as some of these guys might view it right where you say like oh it's a cognitive injury to go like, back. Look, out, yeah. Look like at this guy. Like thought. he, he said one thing and now we got the vaccine. Can you believe it? Like, you know, it becomes a headline, but is it really that big of a deal that like, if that would seem to me to be a very easy PR move again, I'm not a PR expert. So perhaps there's people out there saying, ah, ridiculous. Like, why would he say these things? But like, if you're a PR person and Josh Allen says, yeah, I got the vaccine. You wouldn't say, okay, don't, don't say that you know, when the head coach just said that he got it. That's my
1: suspicion that it's almost like if you don't have anything smart to say, don't say anything at all
2: about it. Right. And I think so if he had gotten it now, it's different with Tremaine Edmonds. I will say, like, I have no idea, like Tremaine Edmonds saying that doesn't make me think that Tremaine Edmonds didn't get the vaccine, but that's because we didn't go into it with an established baseline of his opinion on the matter um, where we, had a bit of that with Josh Allen uh, of the hesitancy that he showed. So with Tremaine Edmonds, it could very well have just been like, well, this is the company line and I'm going to, I'm going to jump in line here with the boys um, and just not say anything. Because if he says something after Josh Allen said nothing, then it becomes, well, clearly this isn't a uniform thing. And now we can ask everybody. So, and I don't know exactly where it came from. It's a strategy from someone, maybe multiple someone's and, Maybe it'll work. I think to an extent, to Jonah's point, it kind of did, you know, it kind of became a thing where it was like, well, I mean, I had my hand up to ask some follow-ups of Josh, but it didn't get to me. Um, You know, there were some others that had more pressing questions uh, evidently, but I do think to an extent it worked. It's like, oh man, well, I'm going to piss off Josh. I'm going to piss off Josh. If I uh, talk about the vaccine or I'm going to piss off, I'm going to get Twitter mentions if, I talk about the vaccine or ask him about the vaccine. So I'm not going to do it. Um, all plays into the psychology of these situations, which is probably why uh, Naomi Osaka didn't want to do these in the first place. She's like, it's such a mental cluster F that it's like, I don't want to play these games and deal with all of it. And sometimes I feel that way when I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm about to ask Sean McDermott a question or Josh Allen a question because I feel like it is my obligation as, The free press to ask this tough question. And sometimes I'm like, this doesn't make me feel good. And I don't really need it for a story. And like, I don't, I don't need it. So I'm not going to ask it, you know, and sometimes I have to check myself with that. But I do think it works sometimes to be like, I'm not saying anything else about this. Because some people are going to say, well, I'm not going to piss them off.
0: Well, let's, let's wrap up this podcast before we before we inch ever closer to seething disdain. I know, I'm true. trying to eliminate that from the podcast. Just too much seething disdain. Um, so let's dial it back.
2: The only place I ever sense seething disdain is from Jonah in our text thread planning the podcast. My face. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, there is a little bit of seething disdain there.
0: Yeah, for us or for me, <laughs> yes. I think.
2: Yeah. for
1: the the podcast or me right this podcast is bad for my mental health
2: and the podcast jonah has seething disdain for the podcast industrial complex and the planning of said podcast and i it it comes directly through my phone i can feel it (laughs) well good i'm glad that
0: comes (laughs) i'm gonna if you still want to get paid uh though uh, you're going to have to send me a doctor's note that you actually are suffering from uh, mental distress. If you need to, well, wait a uh, second. is my do uh,
1: ever that I don't want to do the podcast or I'm usually like, Hey guys, buck up. Let's do this.
2: Yeah. He want Jonah doesn't think we do enough podcasting. That's right. <laughs> he wants to well, do more. He's got a lot of takes.
0: That was uh, for, for a off the cuff topic uh, that, uh, that turned into yeah. quite the discussion. So our this thanks. Why we
1: should, podcast on schedule you never know what's going to come out of our mouth
0: right well our thanks to dan meyer for the for this topic suggestion i, I enjoyed it and uh hope you did too if you've gotten to this point i, I guess you did uh either that or you're just fast forwarding to the end so you can listen to the ctbk read uh which is new new ctbk reads we finally updated those and uh So thanks for listening to Tim Graham and friends brought to you by CTBK. I'm Tim Graham of the athletic Jonah Bronstein of the Bronstein concern and Matthew Fairburn also of the athletic. Remember it's the new Bronstein times, the new
1: yeah. Mergers and acquisitions,
0: the new Bronstein times. Well, have you contacted CTBK to discuss the mergers and acquisitions of.
1: I said what I said. I'm not going to comment on it anymore.
0: I see. You can read about it at Axios. I just uh, just spat all over my microphone (laughs) while trying to laugh and speak at the same time. Uh, Later days. CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400 and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you.